0: Welcome to episode 53 of Texing, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. Hey, Jason, how you doing? Great. How you doing, Justin? Yeah, good. It's, uh, it's nine o'clock on a Saturday morning, but I don't mind because I've was been up for the last couple of hours anyway. Why are you been up so early? I don't know. Just started getting up earlier. That's weird, isn't it? Well, it's so hot out, it's hard to sleep, I think. I'd say that, yeah, it, it is the heat. I mean, I don't know how you guys manage this every year. It's unbelievable. Well, and it's also really bright in the morning too.
1: It's like light out at five something, I think. Of course, I wouldn't really know because I'm not up that early.
0: But uh, we had, but um, we've got no AC in in our house. Uh huh. So what we did was we uh, put like three fans in the room, and it kind of felt like we were taking an airline flight. <laughs> <laughs> they were just buzzing all night long.
1: Well, you know, our air conditioning. Uh, unit actually broke. Or I should say my son Colby broke
0: it. Um, how would you break an air conditioning unit?
1: Well, well, it's old. You know, it's probably our condominiums were built in I think like the mid 80s, and our. You said that, I don't know how the AC unit is, but I think it's probably around that age. And uh, I I think Colby went over to like the, the the thermostat and was just switching on and off, on and off and off, and he like blew it out. <laughs> okay so we are now without ac and it's like 100 degrees out every day so it's just brutal um and so what we did at least for me because i'm in the and my office is our second bedroom and it's it gets really hot even with the air conditioning it barely worked because we have vaulted
0: ceilings so so much uh, volume to the room it's hard to keep cool so do you think of the the your condo being built in 1980 years old 85 is that old for you
1: well, I mean I, I mean if, if the air conditioning unit came with it, then the air conditioning unit is old. I mean,
0: you know, I, I mean like in the UK, right, houses are built in like sixteen forty three or something.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I know what you're getting at. Yeah. No, I, I wouldn't say eighty five is old, I'd say but I'd say an air conditioning unit from nineteen eighty five would be old. Yeah. Um so we we bought one of these um portable AC units. That's, that's mm. it's like the size, it looks like R- R2D2.
0: <laughs> I was thinking of, I was looking into those last night and I was wondering if that was a good idea or not.
1: Yeah, yeah. So that's uh, one we got cost I think around $350 and it was like free shipping and uh, it's it keeps the office cool. So I'm actually able to get work done because it's really hot out like that. I just, I'm not productive. Once after lunchtime, it's too hot to even work and I just sit in here sweating.
0: Hey, I, and I'd love you to send me a link. Does it um... <clears throat> This uh, probably listeners probably don't care about this, but <laughs> does it, does it, uh, do you need to like collect water from it or something like that? Does it, is it one of those ones? I don't
1: know. One, uh, one second. I'm sorry. My, uh, my middle daughter had just burst in. She wants to say hi. Say hi, everyone. Hi, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's my four year old Izzy. Excuse me one second. Let me, uh, let me right, take sure. care of her and see what she wants. One sec. Sorry about that. Hey, the um, my uh, Sandy took um, Colby and uh, Ari to Colby's basketball game, and left Izzy with me. So she's decided to come in and say hi. So you're being stay at mom
0: stay at home mom today.
1: Well, no, just for a couple hours. Um, you all know, right. we all, when you have three kids, you're often dividing and conquering. So you take this one, I'll take these two. You know that kind of stuff. So hmm. yeah. Um, Anyway, uh, so, yeah, the, the air conditioning unit that we have is working. I've had it for, like, a couple weeks now, and it's unbelievable. You've got to send me a link. Yeah, I will. It's sort of a Danby or something. Um, but uh, the, even when our air conditioning unit, unit our, sort of our central air, was working, it was just was too weak for our unit. I think it was built for, like, 1,000 square feet, and we have, like... Thirteen fifty, I think. Yeah. And for and also the, the the, I don't know the amount of air that would actually get into my office was so low that it just, I mean, I was just dying. So it's a great solution. So anybody out there who's needs, who can't afford to replace like a seven thousand dollars AC unit, like we can't right now, and needs the, needs a
0: band aid solution. This is a good one. We'll have we'll have a link on the uh, show notes. Yeah.
1: So I guess we should talk a little bit about our new uh, schedule.
0: Yeah, go on. What, what,
1: so, yeah, yeah so, just, so we've decided that we really want to push to try and, you know, you know, pick up some momentum with the show. And the best way to do that is to uh, have two shows a week where our weekend discussion show, which just you and I, remains the same. But we're going to at least once a week, I guess, maybe middle of the week, we're going to have an interview show. Yeah. Um, that way we can interview all these interesting people that we want to talk to without necessarily having to um, sacrifice the discussion show, which we really enjoy. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it's just going to be two a week. So we're just going to have to try and be really efficient in producing these shows so that it doesn't take up too much of our time.
0: Yeah. And uh, so, I mean, our, our idea is, is to kill the two birds with one stone to basically to grow the show. Um, because every time we interview someone, hopefully we can pick up a couple of listeners, but also coupled with the fact that the people who we interview are people who we find really interesting and who we really want to talk to, you know?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, we've, we've benefited greatly from the people we've met. I mean, we've met some incredible people, um, who, no, we've learned from, but, uh, we've just, uh, become friends of ours, you know? Right. Taylor's now a big buddy of ours. You know, we got to know guys like Jason Cohen and uh, Peldy. They were just really nice guys. And, you know, it's exciting talking to PubNub and Sebastian on last week, which I was just awesome. He's a really cool guy, really smart guy. And it's gonna be well,
0: fun. you've gone into business with about three of the people we've interviewed. <laughs> <laughs>
1: know that. Who have I? No, let's see. So Taylor, well, Taylor, I sort of referred him to Mark. Um, so So Taylor ended up doing some design work for Mark on the iPhone app. Um, the PubSub guys, I'm trying to, um, I have a client that I may be working with and I'm trying to, um, have PubNub be the, uh, the infrastructure we use. And I think that's going to happen. So yeah, it's not me directly, but, and who else? Is there anybody else I can't think of?
0: Well, I know that I guess, uh, by being a client of Peldys, I'm in business with him.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, that's not quite the same thing. Right. Um,
0: off the top of my head, I can't think.
1: Yeah, I don't know, but, you know, it's, it's, it's cool, you know, like, uh, you know, it's fun to talk to Chris last, uh, you know, this past week about Startup Digest. So, you know, and one thing I've noticed is that, for the most part, people are willing to be interviewed on, a, on our podcast. I, I haven't really received, uh, I think I've only, only received one no uh, and it's a guy who's he's a JavaScript coder, lives in uh, England, and he just gets uncomfortable with being interviewed. Um, right. And it's just, I don't think he think, think he, I think he felt that he wouldn't do a good job, um, or at least was kind of shy about it. And then Zed Shaw never returned my email. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's it. Everybody else has been like, sure, even John C. Dvorak. And Richard Dolan has said yes, and we're going to have Oh, next week.
0: yes. So, the Dol- the Dolan Meister.
1: Yeah. So anybody who remembers, I guess it was probably like a few months ago. I, I uh, talked a little bit about this book I was reading called um, UFOs and National Security State. It's written by a guy who's a historian who went in and did a hardcore did some hardcore research and said, "Let's see what evidence is really here. What government documents are are um, can we find from you, you know from FOIA requests to the government, which for anybody unfamiliar called Freedom of Information." Um, uh, was it Freedom of Information uh, I, I don't know. I can't remember oh yeah what does it stand for do you remember no idea I don't know whatever it's a freedom, you can do a Freedom of Information quest for government documents and as long as it's not classified you know you can get a copy and it costs you some money anyway so Getting FOIA documents and interviewing. Uh, I think he talked a lot of, uh, or at least researched a lot of the documentation on generals. And, Ex-Air Force uh, people, right? Air Force and generals and NASA, NASA astronauts, people who went on the record and said, yeah, this is what
0: happened. This is what we saw. Anyway, uh, interesting. To cut, thing. to cut a long story short, he makes a very convincing argument and a very studied and researched argument that UFOs are real. there's something strange happening.
1: There's something going on. There's something going on. There's something being covered up. What it is, it's, you know, it's, you know, I don't know if you can just say exactly, but it's interesting. And the
0: the problem is, is that UFO, just even the word UFO, it just kind of makes you think like you're being kind of a kooky, nutty kind of person to say that. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't think you should ever close yourself off. I don't think you should ever become so skeptical that you're unprepared to look at evidence and so that's what's interesting about richard dolan because he's he's really just a professor type of person rather than a nutter kind of person yeah. and that's what's interesting looking well, at well that's the thing with, with
1: with with something like you know ufo's i mean you're going to have a, you know you're going to have some small percentage of them, they're going to be very serious researchers and very credible. And then you're going to have a lot of, some people who are in between who are somewhat credible, but then kind of are a little bit loose with, you know, evaluating um, and verifying, you know, whatever evidence there is. And then you're going to have people who are just completely believe anything and, you know, and, and so it discredits everything. And so you just kind of look at it and go, well, I
0: don't know, man, it sounds crazy, whatever. But it's, <laughs> if, it, if it was, if it was true, I mean, if, if we weren't alone, It would be a pretty important discovery because it would essentially shake the foundation of civilization, right? Yeah, so it is kind of worth. It it is worth some studied, studious people really looking into it. I think. I think. Well, here's the thing, right?
1: I mean, there's nothing. It's just like following like world politics or something. I mean, you and I are really not going to make any impact on it. But it's still right. interesting to, to to think about and to research a little bit. Now it's not going to affect what you're going to. It's not actionable information. It's not going to affect what software you write or companies you start or anything like that. But it's kind of interesting. You know, I wouldn't spend too much time on it. But it's 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 like a lot of things that people read. Books that people read. It's like you know you read books sometimes because you want to learn stuff and sometimes just just for entertainment, just because it's interesting. You know, um, so, you know, but I don't think I say I, I uh, so I call I emailed uh, Richard Dolan uh, last week and he, you know, and I just said, hey, I, you know, I'd seen some videos and I was a fan and I'd love to interview him on the show. And he was like, sure. And uh, we end up having like a 20 minute conversation. And it's just it's just really cool that by the fact that we have this podcast, we can actually if there's somebody we want to talk to within, I guess, reason, I mean, you can't contact anybody, though, you can end up talking to them right you can say hey this guy'd be great to talk to and now if you if you don't have something like a podcast it'd be hard to get an opportunity to talk to people right That's when you right. email them and say hey what's going on people are like dude what's this weirdo <laughs> calling me you know
0: but have you had have you had any more thoughts about the name the name of the show yeah
1: yeah you know i've been thinking a little bit about it but um, you know i had this morning i was thinking no maybe kind of cool it was like hacker radio would be cool Oh, that's interesting. I thought Hacker Radio would be good. I was kind of going to search and see what else was out there, but I thought that might be kind of cool. I mean, uh, you know, you, as you know, I've never been that crazy about the name texting, but... Um, oh, you,
0: you've, you have hated the name texting. You, you thought of the name texting and then you hated it. You're one of these kind of people who gives birth to the little, little kind of ideas and then hates them as soon as they're out there for like a couple yeah, of no. Weeks.
1: So this is what happened. You said, we need something zingy. And I said, I don't know, tech zing. And you're like, yes, that's great. And then I'm, I'm obviously condensing the story. And you said, yeah, and Georgie likes it a lot too, and let's just go with it. And we tried some other things, and I could think of anything else. And I was like, all right, well, I guess that's fine. And then uh, I was in a few
0: shows in, I was just like, oh, what did I say as to that? <laughs> I, I really like Hacker Radio. Do you? I really like it, yeah.
1: Yeah, So I, but I think about Hacker Radio is we need to – Check that there's not any other hacker radios out there, and see what's going on with the domain name and stuff. But that would be great. Um, I think, because you know, as we discussed in a, in, a pre, in a offline a little bit, is that the idea of expanding the show just a little bit to be a little a little broader than just startups and just writing code. Um, and I, it kind of reminds me a little bit about of Wired magazine. Not so broad as that. We're you know discussing consumer you know lifestyle stuff like hey what's the greatest what are the new bicycles that are really good but <laughs> or uh what are the greatest the best underwater watches and
0: we can't talk about food can we uh,
1: you know it's like i think we need to stay kind of in that area and another another magazine that it reminded me of was sort of uh, omni magazine do you remember omni mm. i think it was discontinued the print was discontinued in 95 according to the wikipedia article i wrote i read um and the and the online edition went on to about ninety eight, but it was started in the 70s, and it was sort of like this combination of like science and sci fi. So they'd interview, you know, uh, I think Freeman Dyson was like one of the first interviews, and he's the you know big time physicist. He's like a Richard Feynman, uh, John von Neumann type guy. And then you have, um, you know, there would be like Jerry Pornell and um, these really top end um, uh, science fiction writers who'd be uh, writing stories the magazine. So it was like a science and science fiction magazine. And you'd see you'd see, and they were talking about in the, in the Wikipedia article that you'd see Omni referenced all over the place in pop culture, like in the movie Real Genius or in uh, 2010 A Space Odyssey, you know, the, the main mm. character's reading Omni. And I thought it'd be kind of cool, like a name, kind of like Wired or Omni, but I couldn't really think of anything. I it's-
0: like Hacker Radio because it, it hooks into the... I mean, obviously the Hacker News, hold that whole aspect, which is essentially pretty important to our show because a lot mm. of our a lot of our stuff comes there. And then the radio, just because it kind of ties in with just chat radio. And I think that's great because we are we like, as you say we're not focused on a very very single like a like a laser beam we do kind of meander and i think that's kind of the good thing about the show is we meander all over the place
1: yeah i you think we, we we talk about what we're, what we're interested in and i think what we're interested yeah. in is fairly similar to what the people who read hacker news are interested in and which means that they don't want every single article to be about hey you know how do i uh, optimize a javascript loop <laughs> or but, how much but money but did is i make but
0: that's part read? of it as well like, and and there's times you know if, if we encounter an interesting technique or an interesting business idea, then, you know, we just mentioned that, like, it yeah. comes up. If it comes up, it comes up. Yeah, no, I'm interested
1: on. in that stuff, absolutely. And I think, you know, you know startups in, in, in code are, is our core, but it doesn't mean we can't talk a little bit about cognitive psychology or a little bit about macroeconomics or, hey, let's go interview this expert on UFOs or let's talk to some physicist or let's talk about artificial intelligence. I mean, those are all the kind of things, you know, for the most part that you'll see popping up on Hacker News because that those are interesting things to to us and and in our our sort of
0: demographics so yeah talking talking about interesting techniques um a technique that i've been using a lot uh for the last couple of weeks maybe last month since working with my my Mm vebo um is and this this is uh through uh working with andrew and um at his suggestion who's andrew Uh, andrew is a my co-worker now is he Uh, the guy
1: you boss around (laughs) <laughs> I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say boss around oh by the way um, actually, I, 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 I'm kidding I know
0: the one, he, one thing is last time I mentioned my VBO I said it was a company of three and I was because I was new to the company I didn't realize actually they have um, eight people working for them right so but it's just because it's a distributed workforce you know you don't get to get I don't get to be in touch with them that often sure but uh, it's kind of like a virtual workforce that has eight people going on there but um, so this technique is um, I don't know whether you've heard of this but talk it talk it through with the bear
1: yeah, no, I brought this up to you like uh, probably 20 shows ago or <laughs> 30 shows. Oh, did Absolutely. you? Yeah, so, well, you go and explain it. And, uh, go and explain <laughs> I, it. I don't want to steal your thunder, <laughs> but I, I brought this up to you. Before.
0: Well, just as basically, um, he, he was talking about um, working at a previous company, and what they literally did was they had a teddy bear. And if, if the teddy bear would be kind of in the middle of the room on a table, and if someone would come, in, come and ask another developer a question, they would say, well, hold on a second ask the bear first. So, so the guy would stand in the middle of the room talking to the bear, basically describing the problem. Because nine times out of 10, when you describe the problem, you find the answer. And I didn't quite realize just how true that was until uh, till I started doing this. So I literally would, would just call up Andrew and just say, okay, you don't need to say anything. I'll just talk the problem through. And by the end of it, there you go. I've got the solution.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I remember reading about this years ago um, and I, th- I I thought it was... The group, the I think it was out of Berkeley, the ones who created the it was, um, what was a precursor to PostgresQL? All right, maybe, or, which then became Sybase. I think I could be wrong. Maybe someone, one of our listeners, remembers this story. But it was like a, it was like some sort of like um, I don't know PhD. Project or something, and they had like a group of developers, and it was the teddy bear. It was that exactly what you just actually described. So they, they 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 took the whole that whole concept, and they, I was just writing. It's called the teddy bear principle in programming, right? <laughs> you know, when you have a programming <laughs> problem, explain what you are doing to the teddy bear. Absolutely, because just by formulating it in your head, we, you know you, you you figure things out. Sometimes it's, it's really stating the problem specifically that forces you to re-examine um, your assumptions and reframing your mind a little more clearly. And I don't know if you've know, ever, if this ever happened to you, but a lot of times whenever I've been thinking about writing a, um, a question on Stack Overflow, posting question, and by writing up the question, I'm like, oh, I know the answer now. What am I doing?
0: Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, That's the same thing.
1: You feel like an idiot like the minute you finish posting. You're like, oh, I can answer. Well, I myself. find it's
0: because I, the reason why it helps me is because as I'm talking it through, I'm explaining what the problem is. And mm-hmm. so I'm going through each of the components of the problem mm-hmm. and by explaining the components of the problem, I say, Oh look, this array here, this array here. Oh, Oh, right. Yeah. That, that's what the problem is. Yeah. And it's, it's just because I re- go over it and then I'm reconnecting and I'm like, yeah, I forgot right. That l- little part of the puzzle.
1: Yeah. That's anyway. uh it's, it's, cool. It's important. And that's why I sometimes I'll explain um, a problem i having to Sandy. And uh, yeah, I know she doesn't really understand what I'm talking about or is even very interested, but she'll, she'll stand there and nod in the kitchen and, so, do you, want to
0: know, um, do you want to know how Swarm's doing?
1: Yes, well, actually, I want to bring up one related topic and then we'll hear about Swarm. Is that okay? Yeah, go for it. Okay, so we're talking about techniques, and after our um, conversation with uh, Sebastian about the a building gay guy, really got me kind of fired up again about playing around with some of that stuff. And so, I, and I told him that I had, I had like a, a neural net. Library that I'd written right. in JavaScript that he could use if he wanted to, so I went and I and I dug that out and I played around with it and I sent him a really early version of it that I had I'd, re- I'd written this thing like in 2007, and so I, I've been playing around with it a little bit this past week, just spent an hour here, an hour there, kind of um, moving to the next step and kind of building like a a web page where you, you people can go on and like paste. A data into like a text area, so that and and then just set do a couple settings and say run, evaluate, and and train the a neural net that will be able to predict the output values. Um, and it just sort of is a way to test and experiment. Okay. And and sort of experimenting with it, one thing I realized was that you know you quickly you can't have a process that runs longer than 15 seconds or 20 seconds in a web browser. Right, because you'll get the, that long running script warning that'll pop up. You seen that?
0: Oh, I see. So, so when you say you can't have a web page running, you're talking specifically JavaScript.
1: Right. So, if you're running a JavaScript, right, you know, I don't. Let's say you have a, some kind of loop, and it and it continues on for more than I don't know what the number is—ten seconds or well, twenty seconds. You know, all the browsers will pop up and say, "There's a long running script error. Do you want to stop it or do you want to?" This debug? is where
0: you should use Node Node.js and do it on a server side then.
1: Well, no, 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 no. I mean, you, you still want to be able to run things on the client side, okay? Um, right. But what you do, the trick is, um, which should be obvious, <laughs> but the trick is rather than running through a loop, you run one iteration and then you do a set timeout um, for um, one millisecond and then you call the same function again. Right. So it sort of pops the stack. And so you can have it run, you know, as long as you could run for days or whatever. There's no limit. And what will happen is, you know let's say that you have like a pause button or a, you know or something like that or stop button you the browser is to respond to it it doesn't it doesn't go dead like oh there's some kind of problem here i can't even now i can't even stop the process
0: so do you do recursive set timeout, or do you do set interval
1: um i do a set timeout um so what i what the way i the way I, just did. I mean, I just built this last night. You know, in like you know a few minutes. But essentially, what happens is that you'll get a callback function after every evaluation of the of the net. So maybe that happens you know once every you know 10 milliseconds or something like that or 100 milliseconds. And you get a callback function called on evaluation complete. And at the end of the loop, you just say you just call you know the the object neuro neuroevolver, which is how to call it, and hit call restart. And what you could also do is I could pass in an object as a parameter and you could say um restart on that parameter or pause or whatever but anyway it, it allows you to have control over it from the um from the app And it so it automatically doesn't call set timeout. you you effectively call by set, hitting uh, restart it, it it does the set re, uh set timeout.
0: cool so when when can we uh when can listeners expect to be able to play around with this uh Actually, you know, you know, imagine. so I'm just gonna have some,
1: I'm gonna put something real simple, just in a you know maybe two or three days. So hopefully within a day or two after the podcast, um, I cool. was hoping I could have one tomorrow. But I, I want to do something. I'll, I'll do the whole release early release off, and of the first version will just be a web page. You can go in, you can cut paste a bunch of tabular data. So let's say that you had like a thousand rows in a um, Excel or something, and, and let's say you had like the first five columns were input variables, and the sixth column was an output variable, and you wanted to be able to have a function that given any of five of the input variables it could predict what the what the uh, output variable would be based on the data you gave it right does that right. make sense yeah so it's so it's a, it's teaching the algorithm from the data what to do and so what you could do is you could just cut and paste that data or, or cut and paste to csv or um, tab delimited or whatever and the um the text area you know the 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 um the program will take the data, paste it in there, pre-process it, clean it up, um, read it into a data frame matrix, and then it'll pass it to um, this neuro-evolver algorithm, which will then, you know, evolve a bunch of neural nets. To, uh,
0: Have you played with that game, 20Q? Never heard of it. Mm-hmm. It's, like this little, it's like this little game, and it asks you 20 questions, and then it, it predicts what you're thinking of. <laughs> Right, and it, it, it basically um, it, it came from a website, and um, it's now this it's now this little game, and it's amazingly accurate. And the way that it does it is through the neural net stuff that you mm. you're talking about.
1: Yeah, neural nets are really cool. Unif- neural nets are kind of what you would call a universal function approximator, so that if you have a sufficiently large number of hidden units, you can approximate any ar- arbitrarily complex function. Right. So even if I said, hey, Justin, I want you to go in a room and write the most complex formula you want. It could take up 10 pages. That, And then we ran through a bunch of input data, you know, even if it took in 20 input variables or 50 input variables and had seven output variables or something. Um, you, uh, we would just say, okay, run a bunch of data in. This looks like this is so it's just a black box and run a bunch of data out. And then we can use that data to train a neural net that could, uh, could be arbitrarily cl- um, accurate as... In predicting and in, in emulating or simulating that function,
0: I thought that it would be a fantastic way of creating a differential diagnosis tool for medicine. Mm-hmm. So um, you you just get doctors to answer the questions correctly and train the neural net, and then people. Someone could basically create a website where people can just answer 20 questions, and then it will help them with some base diagnosis.
1: Yeah, you know, they've, they've, they did a lot of um, diagnostic medicine uh, stuff with AI back in the 80s. They had these expert systems. And as it turned out, I, th- I think, if I recall correctly, that these, um, these systems were often more accurate than the doctors. But the problem, the problem was accountability. The problem was like, well, what if the, what if the computer's wrong? Whose fault is it? And, and, and then, and then it, I think it got a question of doctors feeling like they were second-guessed, and it became more of a people issue as opposed right. to an accuracy issue. Um, but a lot of the early research in expert systems, which was the branch of AI that was the, sort of the big first movement in AI, um, which was in the 80s, I think, since the late 70s and up to the like mid,
0: mid-80s, that's what they but it's interesting I mean it's like it's very hard to diagnose like for example I mean I just recently got diagnosed with diabetes right but Mm. the doctors didn't were seeing me for like two years and I was saying Mm. there was an issue there was an issue there was an issue right and they did they did multiple tests and they just couldn't work out what was wrong yeah and it was it was just only at the very end that they worked it out because it got bad enough where it was they could pick it up whereas if there was a tool like that then I could have just said well I'm feeling this and I'm feeling this and that and that
1: Yeah, it would be awesome to have one on the web where, you know, it was just a series of questions. It was sort of like it would appear to the user as a giant decision tree, I guess. I mean, or actually to the user would just seem like you were talking to a person almost. Um, But I guess a lot of times you would ask you two or three questions and it would need test results like okay what's your you know t-cell account or what's your you know you know it's like it can't do that so you you would have to go to the hospital and get tests and the doctor would be like "What do you want this test it's Like, oh you know it's like this website wants to know <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, what <laughs> i'm sorry that we don't uh do that
0: i yeah. don't know there's there's certain patterns they're just just symptoms and and they're they're pretty good predictors but yeah yeah no you're right i mean Tests. There's nothing better than tests. medicine. Is
1: probably one of the one things that really wouldn't work because you need all these tests that are expensive, that only have to be, that have to be ordered by doctors, that can only really be interpreted by doctors, then have all the insurance and liability stuff. But that, but that said, you know. Artificial intelligence systems or systems that learn off large data sets can be extremely valuable for a lot of other things where you don't run into those issues. So I thought by building, I'd been meaning to build this for a long time or, or build an AI library in JavaScript because I love JavaScript. JavaScript is like my favorite language to program in, of all languages I know. And just because it's so fast to, to write in, um, for me anyway. And um, in, the, in, in building an AI library, and it means that you can use it like on the web, you know, it's like you can have all these, you know, libraries and they're like in Python or C++ or something. And people are like, well, how do I use it? Well, so you've got to go and take the code and read the documentation and build something. But if I have a library like that, I could just run it on a web page.
0: So what, what do you hope to get out of this? What do you hope to get out of releasing this and doing uh, the whole release early, release often?
1: I don't know. You know, I, this is about to be fun. You know, my, the two ideas that I had for, um, I guess uh, for my project, uh, for like a, a side project about a year ago when I, when I started working with Guyon. Mm-hmm. You know, because you know, we, were, we were working on Prezo and then that sort of ran out of money and ran out of steam. And then I um, was working on a high-fruitsy trading project for six months. Yeah. But that lost funding. And when that lost funding, I had to jump into consulting again. And I was like, well, I, I got to come up with something else other than just consulting work because there's no exit plan for consulting.
0: It doesn't scale either.
1: Yeah, it doesn't scale, and you never can, you can never create any real freedom out of it unless you just are billing at a high rate and really living cheaply and just trying to save cash. And maybe after 10 or 15 years, you can you can create some freedom. But I, obviously, I don't want to wait 10 to 15 years. So I'm like, all right, I need to work on something. I need to come up with my prison break plan. And so. I, you know, Guyon, you know, was a, a willing partner in crime. We so said, let's do something. And the two ideas I had were: one was the uh, for epic Night, um, and the other was for what I t- what I called QuantFire, which was a um, sort of like where you could. Code a website and you could paste in a giant data set or a small data set, whatever, and you could go through a series of wizard like questions and it would help you get whatever answers you want out of it clustering information, uh, predictive information, whatever. Because mm. this, the, 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 that falls sort of under the, um, the category of business intelligence. I mean, AI is a is a, sort of a broad range of a whole bunch of different types of problems and different types of solutions, but business intelligence is oftentimes taking real world data and trying to and trying to make you know sense of it, valuable actionable getting valuable actual information out of it. But business intelligence solutions are often extremely expensive, sold by companies like IBM or Cognos or I mean, Microsoft might even have some stuff that integrates with these big databases, and you have to bring in these high-paid people that have these add-on packages to these big databases. And it's just a huge deal. So if, if somebody is like, doesn't have the funding or they're in a, comp- a small company or they're in a, department, a small department in a company that doesn't have access to resources and they want to take a look at their data and do some, some deep analysis that's beyond just a couple you know, simple statistical analysis that they understand how to do in Excel, they're kind of
0: out of luck. So you wanted to build a system like that, but you've decided to go with Apic Knight, So what made you decide to go with Apic Knight instead?
1: Well, you know, I was talking with Guyon, and Guyon just really had no background or, or um, understanding of artificial intelligence, machine learning techniques. I mean, I had read a lot. I had read a you know, dozen or so books and hundreds of papers and written a few libraries in a variety of languages over the years, but I had never actually spent time um, solving problems. Like we talked to Sebastian, he had, he had, rather than building these libraries, he had used a bunch of libraries and experimented with them, but I hadn't done a lot of that. Yeah. So I kind of felt like, you know, maybe it's just a little outside our wheelhouse. You okay. know, maybe, maybe we, as if there's one thing I know how to do now, I know how to build web applications. I've built a number of them, so I know
0: how. And Prezo was, Prezo was a, you know, a very kind of intensive web application and using yeah. a lot of JavaScript, right?
1: Yeah, it was all job, yeah, all, you know, I was building a, an office application in a web page, all in JavaScript. That was a really hard problem, but App Ignite has turned out to even be a bigger problem, I think. And so, anyway, the whole thing with Quantifier, we chose to go with App Ignite. and. For, for this, what I'm doing right now, this is just for fun. This is just a little bit on the side. This is like, you know, I'll build this library because when they, when that JavaScript neural net library came out and everybody was like, oh, that's amazing, I'm just like, damn it, you know, <laughs> it kind of pisses you off when you build something that's even better and you don't release it, and then because you figure, out oh, no one's gonna care, and then someone else releases some really simple version of something and everybody's like, that's just the awesome. I don't know something about that <laughs> ir- irritated me. I was like, you know, all right. Bro. right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put together my stuff. I'll release it as a free open source library, give it some kind of funny name, like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, and, uh, and then maybe I'll build like a cool, like a little web page or, or, or website where you can go in and paste some data and experiment with the
0: algorithms in a useful way. Right. I think it's good because the App Ignite project is clearly a, a very long-term five-year plan project. Mm-hmm. Right. and when, we, you know, we don't get to see very much uh, for, of your output regarding that so if, if you did have another little project then at least we could see something out there in the world
1: yeah you know? the other thing too another itch it scratches for me is that apignite is a coding problem but it's not a mathematical problem and and i've always you know been very interested in math and in artificial intelligence and i have no real out, outlet for that Right. You no, know? um, and so it's a little different. It's a little. It's, it's just a different itch that's fun to scratch, and uh, I love. So just last night, I read a couple. I downloaded, and read a couple of papers on. You know. Uh, n- evolutionary methods for neural nets and, you know, and, and reading those papers last night was kind of interesting gosh, getting me excited. So I'll just spend a little bit of time on the side and it gives me a, gives me an opportunity to, you know, maybe help you out and to be fun to work a little bit with Sebastian on this. And if I can give him say, Hey, check out this library, this might help you out or try this.
0: That would just be fun. That'd be cool if Sebastian can use it in swarm. So is it, uh, if, if your library gets used in swarm, do I owe you royalties? Cash money, cash.
1: Uh, it's like you know money talks bullshit walks you know what i mean (laughs) yeah sure yeah i mean no it's i'll just i'll probably just make the libraries free and um but the the thing i was thinking about um and i lost my train of thought on that (laughs) anyway
0: would you like to know how swarms doing yes
1: so that's i'm I'm very interested in swarm but i would just want to get that out about the technique since we were talking about java you know technique oh can i say one last thing one last thing about the JavaScript
0: libraries. Jason, one last knock thing. Your, knock yourself out. Go one for less it. Thing. Go on. The
1: one thing about the JavaScript libraries, and this also goes with Swarm. This is a good segue into Swarm, is that because of, of App Appcelerator, it converts them in to Objective C, which effectively is C. So it's compiled. Yeah. So when you know, if you if we use these libraries or any JavaScript libraries for that matter in uh, Swarm it'll run as fast as C so it's not like well you know what i mean you really want because a lot of times you might get this feeling like well javascript's slow that was
0: exactly the same thing that i actually I, I i had that thought and brought it up to sebastian as well because we were we were talking about the challenge of javascript but yeah. i did realize but yeah you can compile it into c the one the one issue is is that the way that i've coded swarm at the moment it's in the web view and it, it actually is officially running javascript right Every, everything's running javascript so what we would have to do is there's this way through firing events that the JavaScript can talk to the Objective-C and pass parameters and receive parameters. Yeah. So what we'd have to do is to compile all that stuff in the Objective-C area and then talk to it via events so it could then run its magic and then pass back an answer to the JavaScript.
1: That'd be great. And, and ultimately, you can, of course, rewrite. Rather than using the web view, you can just write a native app using App uh, you know graphics engine. You don't even need to use JavaScript
0: or web view the problem with that is that it will only work um on iphone ipad android etc whereas if i want if i then want to make a desktop version they they have a different api as far as i understand
1: hmm. okay right so i don't the, i don't know it may not be that big, version, if, i don't know the, if it'd be that different you just check it out i imagine their stuff's yeah. probably pretty similar do you think? Would you think it would be something?
0: I, I, I think the impression I got was the de- the desktop software was all all um, HTML and web stuff. It was none of the other stuff. It was none of the other stuff. I see. Okay. So you know, with it, with an HTML web version, like I could build, a I could deploy it to the website. I could deploy it to all of the different devices, and I could deploy it to to desktop, to Linux, mm-hmm. Mac, and PC.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I just think that's cool that Appcelerator essentially effectively converts it into objective C after oh, and cool, it's yeah. going to be rocket fast. So you don't have to you're not under the constraint of like well, JavaScript isn't as fast as some other languages. It'll it'll be as fast as it's going to get at least in terms of on an iPhone or iPad. Oh, and the, the other thing I want to, one thing I want to mention, one last thing is I was running this algorithm <laughs> on yeah. on uh, and I was playing with it last night and and Chrome is 10 to I don't know 12 times faster than Firefox.
0: Oh, yeah. No, it's unbelievable.
1: I mean, I thought Firefox is supposed to be fast. I mean, I was running, I ran, let's see, at, neural, at a population of 100 neural nets, and I ran, I evaluated them each. So they each got evaluated one time on a data set of, I think, 1,500 rows of data, 1,500 records. Yeah. And, um... With about six inputs, and the, and the, and the neural nets had um, five, uh, four inputs, one output, and then I think eleven hidden neurons. And so there was, uh, if you look, if you make that into an array of connections, it would be for each input neuron has to connect to each middle layer neuron, and each middle layer ne- neuron has to connect to the output layer neuron. So it's like, you know, five times 11 plus 11 or whatever that is, 66 or something like that. So 66, an array of 66 evaluation of inputs, and it has to be accumulated into some functions. So wait, all that stuff runs for 100 neural nets on 1,500 inputs. It took about a second to run that in um, Chrome and took about 12 seconds. To run it well,
0: talk, Firefox. Talking about Chrome being faster, we're we're currently working on this thing on uh, myvibo.com. myvebo.com. We're building a newsreader. And um, one of the things that the newsreader does is it has the fa- the fav icons for each of the feeds. Mm-hmm. So if you've got like 40 feeds in your newsreader, it will load in 40 fav icons. So we were doing these tests on Firefox and Safari and Chrome. <clears throat> and what we know what we were trying to work out why the page was taking a long time to load. And basically, it's because it was loading in forty fav icons, so it's creating forty forty web connections. Okay. So fair enough. That's one problem that can be dealt with by creating sprites and just loading in one image and then clipping them. But anyway, the, what we what was amazing was that Chrome was basically instantaneous to load the page. Right. Ver, versus Firefox or Safari, and we're trying to we're trying to go why why is that happening? And like after a bit of investigation, we realised that. Uh, Firefox and Safari have a limitation on the number of open network, uh, the number of open sockets that they can have. You're right. So like Firefox, Firefox is limited to like three sockets and Safari is the same, whereas Chrome will open 40 sockets (laughs) and will will download it all. Yeah, exactly. Wow,
1: that's good. That's interesting. (laughs) Oh, you know what I say when I ran my test last night, Safari was uh, the same speed as Chrome. But they don't. They don't. They use WebKit for rendering, but they use different JavaScript engines, right? Because Chrome uses V eight. Chrome uses V eight. Yeah, that's right. And yeah. um, and uh, Safari uses like was it called Spider Monkey or Spider S- Monkey? Yeah, Spider Monkey. And now the whole j- uh, Firefox uses was it Trace something It was called I don't know trace something or trace monkey or trace fish or, I don't know, I can, I can, <laughs> squirrel fish, no, Squirrelfish was, um, the, uh, is the JavaScript engine for Safari, I think, Squirrelfish was what they called it. And right. trace monkey was the one, uh, or spider oh. monkey was the one for, um, Firefox. And I thought Firefox was supposed to be super fast because this whole tracing optimization jet compiler. And I, I thought it was like as fast, or not quite as fast, but really close to being as fast as, as Chrome. So I was really shocked. I mean, I was, I was expecting to see that kind of slowness out of like IE. But Firefox 3.6, I was like, wow, that was really
0: disappointing. Interesting.
1: So I don't know. Do you know anything about Have you done any other experiments with raw JavaScript speed? Nope. So I I, I don't know. I'll do some profiling because I I don't want to just leave it at that. I mean, see, maybe there's like one or two operations in JavaScript that are really slow that if I could change them. But it's all just pure mathematical operations. It's just, you know, it's doing some mathematical calculations and some sticking stuff in and out of arrays and stuff. But I don't know. Definitely Chrome is the king. All right. So let's hear hear about um, Swarm SG. What's the deal? (laughs) If you're willing to talk about it, I mean,
0: we got there in the end. I only took like forty minutes.
1: <laughs> there's I no, don't no have direct. That there there are say. no direct paths on uh, texing, You know,
0: going through Jason's brain is like traveling through a neural net that is just going up, left, right, down, up, left, right, down. Um, Sorry about that. no, there, there's. Um, to be honest, there there isn't that much to say. Uh, only that it's been in the App Store for a month and it's sold 700 copies. 700. So, about approximately seven hundred. And yeah. you've
1: been selling it for five dollars a shot and you net three fifty yeah. or something? Yeah. Yeah. So what's that come to? Twenty uh, one hundred bucks, a little over, twenty two hundred bucks. Twenty three hundred I don't
0: know. About twenty four hundred? Yeah, two thousand four hundred and fifty. Yeah in theory. So that's um that's great. So no, that's, made, I mean it's made more than it's made more than plug but the only thing is is that it was on the front page, and it was it was kind of doing well, but I think it obviously it goes through this kind of cycle where first of all they'll if it's if it's an interesting thing, they will then put it in the new and noteworthy panel and then they'll put it in the featured thing above and then it will gradually you know week by week be bumped one slot to the right and then fall off the screen so it's now like featured above, but it's three slots to the right. And it's selling about five copies a day at this stage. So is this dropped off? When oh, was com- that? Yeah. The, yeah well, like when it was on the new and noteworthy and it was like the top left, then it was selling 70 copies a day. Wow. You know? yeah. So now it's saying, but I mean, it, the thing is, if it was an iPhone app, then it would be obviously selling a lot more because the iPhone has a market of like 100 million mm. versus the iPad, which is only 3 million.
1: Right. Well, um, I guess you're gonna have to come up with a marketing plan when it falls off that page. I mean, when it, when you put it, when you have a new version that has AI in it, I mean, will can that will that constitute a new version? Do you think it can show up again?
0: I think. Well, I don't know about whether it shows up on the Apple page, but I think that with once the AI is in there, I think that I can get into marketing mode big time and start pushing it out to, um, to to websites. And the other thing I was thinking of doing was contacting even people who don't have iPads, but maybe like you know, like a, a a blog about chess or something like that, and actually pointing them to like a password-protected area where they could play Swarm Online against the AI. Yeah, you know, absolutely. So they could get a feel for the game. Maybe just get generate a bit of buzz in the industry about the game.
1: Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely going to need to do stuff like that. Um, it kind of reminds me, I, I, I was reading an article just last night, and I think it was called, uh, You Launched Your App, Now What?, and it was called by an app called Chrometa, and it was like a time tracking app for attorneys, right? Law firms, and they they you know they sent out a press release and whatever, and they didn't have a single person. I don't think bought a, opened an account, or tried it. And they also had an article about them in Inc. magazine, um, which you have some, uh, you know. Uh, Experience with right because you had a press release in Inc.
0: Yeah, I had a press release in Inc. Yeah,
1: and it didn't come just and just like you, it didn't really come to much because no. the story was essentially about raising capital or something like that, and that didn't turn into anything. He said, but what did turn into stuff a little bit is when they and ha- they were covered by blogs or magazines that were part of that industry that were part of the lawyer tech
0: nexus, however small that might be. Okay, uh, well, it completely makes sense because it's that's the niche, right.
1: So you've got to, I think one thing that people have to remind remind themselves is that going into some sort of big mainstream press push or going to markets that aren't the exact market you you start with is probably going to be a mistake because you probably want to focus your energies on the specific, most high probability um, market for you, really hit those people hard. And then what they did, which is probably obvious, is that when you first do get your first five or ten customers, is really work those customers. Get contact with them, ask them what they like, what they want fixed, really help serve them, and then sort of pick the brain on, you know, who, who, if they, do, you know, who they should be targeting and do they know any potential customers, and that's what they did right? Yeah. That's, that's, so that's, that's cool. it's all about, I guess the big part is targeting. And then of course it took them like, you know, this was like a period of like six months or something. Like it was a real slow and they you could have easily got discouraged. And I think they did get discouraged, but they kept working and coming up with a new version and they in re- really trying to tar- And then they went for more of a targeted marketing uh, push or, or a PR push or whatever it was. And or more or less just reaching out to blogs that cover the space and, uh, and they started to pick up traction, but it took time. So I think, cool. you, you know, you have to get, you have to get really just prepare yourself for the fact that you could come and roll something and then nobody's going to care <laughs> and, but not give up just, just at that moment.
0: Hey, on an, on another note, what are our show segments? What are our show segments? Yeah. You, we, we've been discussing that we would have some like regular shows, show segments. Uh-huh, well, we what, had, what ones do we have now?
1: We have the ones that we've tried or, you know, we don't have a regular one. Is it's La critique. Yeah. Is get to know a listener. Critique is where we we critique a user, uh, one of our listeners' um, web apps that that they've volunteered to be critiqued to us. Yep. Um, we've done that twice, right? We did with my uh, skills app. Is that what it's called? My skills map. My yep. skills map by um, Philip Monet. And the other Philippe one. Monet. and R- then
0: host RDB or something.
1: Yeah, our remote, um, remote. Do you remember what? It was? Remote host RDB. Yeah. yeah.
0: Not off the top of my
1: head. Uh, I'm just <laughs> it. See, and,
0: uh, you had a se- you had a segment that was basically you picking through old shows and then coming back and doing old topics worth rebutals. discussing. <laughs>
1: well, it was just something that I felt like, and I either listening to it a second time when I was making notes, I realized that I, I misunderstood something or I stated something incorrect. What would that
0: segment be called?
1: I don't know. Old old issues worth worth discussing. Old issues worth discussing. There was um, there is quote of the quote of the show or quote of the week which i have one for this week okay um which is uh well let's let go over the rest of the to- uh the segments if we i've think. got
0: a new i've got a new one to bring to the game okay justin's strange question justin's strange question okay
1: <laughs> well, we'll do these segments after this let's just go to the list yeah. what else is okay. there um well that's what i was asking you i can't remember i'm blanking on anything Part else of The week so um well go ahead ask your strange question
0: okay from an evolutionary point of view, this is going to be strange, but let me just talk it through with you from before you get like outraged mm-hmm. from an evolutionary point of view. What is the point of oxygen? What is the point of oxygen? I mean, I know, I know what the function is. I know what it does, but i what I'm saying is what, why did we evolve that way? What is the point? Because we already get our energy via food, right? And we just, you know, you, you think that you just needed energy. Like a car doesn't need oxygen. It just needs energy. Maybe that's the stupid thing to say. Oh, yeah. See, this is where I'm going to sound
1: stupid because I don't know that my, I don't remember my biology that well. So if I was, if I knew my biochemistry, <laughs> if I remembered it very well, I could probably say, well, of course you need, uh, you need oxygen because the, the the process of, you know whatever where they oxygen comes in and and i think the cells need it to break down or create some kind of chemical process which which is required to utilize energy and i, I can't remember what some of these processes are called you know i just they're all they're, i don't think i don't spend a lot of time thinking about biochemistry But wouldn't so.
0: it make more sense if we just if we just ate food Et and, food? Then, and it? then and then didn't die from not breathing do you know what i'm saying it's like a really big chink in our armor
1: well, yeah. if I knew what editing food is and
0: e- eating food,
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, that's that's the one thing I was like. It's interesting. I, I think I. I don't know if I. I don't know. I'm trying to think about this, but I might have brought this up. Remember when I told you I had some strange dream, of, uh, my favorite dream of all time, where aliens landed in my backyard and and I was drilling them with questions and they were trying to leave. <laughs> I wouldn't let them leave
0: because I was asking them they're like, we "Are you sure call? that was a dream and wasn't an abduction?"
1: Yeah, so I, it it's like a reverse abduction. They're like, "We're leaving," and I'm like, oh, "Wait, wait, 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 Where are you guys going? <laughs> wait, are you guys, you guys, are you guys carbon based or you like, you know, they're silicon based? They're like, "Oh, we're carbon." I knew it. You know. And I think one of the questions I was like. Do you guys use oxygen or do you you know i remember asking you right. something like that in my dream i was they were getting kind of annoyed with me they really wanted to leave they're like jason that... can you shut up so we can say something <laughs> we have come <laughs> oh, here no. to give information I'm like wait 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 i got this great story for
0: you anyway uh know i just I, I mean i i know that obviously oxygen does perform an important function but it's just from an evolutionary point of view i would have thought that we would have been served better if we didn't have that way of dying as well as starving that's
1: all. I don't know. Well, I think evolution, the way it works is it just, you know, the most, usually the most efficient solutions, given the environment, the, the given environment constraints, is usually the one that usually kind of ends up winning out. Yeah. You know? So whatever works, works, you know, it's sort of like, uh, yeah, I don't think it's, it's a matter of choice. It's like, it's not like, it's just things sort of happen. And, and it's like, it's like, well, you know, if a boulder rolls down a mountain and you're like, well, why did it, we should have rolled down this way. It will roll whichever way the, the, you know, was the um, least resistance. Right, and that's just what happened. There was no the boulder wasn't making decisions. It didn't have a predefined goal. It just went in the direction that there was based on physics. You know,
0: what was the least resistance? So, do you have anything else, you said you said you you've been making notes, and you had a few topics to bring in.
1: Yeah. um, Well, first thing, and one thing before I forget to do to to uh, say is um, we need to remind people to try and give us reviews on iTunes if if they could oh yeah because itunes i think if you get if you I, when you get good reviews on itunes it brings it up for other people to find the show makes it easier and and people are willing to try out the show so if you're sitting there listening so you happen to be at your computer right now please just take a second and uh, write a nice review um for us on itunes because that really help us um promote the
0: show well i'll i'll, ch- I'll change that to please write an honest review uh, i don't mind whether it's nice or not just honest
1: well, yeah, be nice to me and you could be honest about Justin, <laughs> <laughs> which means, you know, negative, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's cool either way.
0: Oh, do you think, do you, so you think by default, honest means negative? No, I'm, I'm just kidding. All right. Okay. I'm kidding.
1: Um, I'm just being a smart ass. So, oh, uh, on the, uh, on the swarm, one more thing on the swarm issue. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, oh, the letters from Guyon segment. Ah, right? yes. I about that segment. So, um, uh, one thing he is suggesting you do for Swarm is something that is in his Sudoku game that he loves, that he plays on, his, I think, his iPhone or maybe his Android. I think it's an Android phone. Yeah. He says, use hints like a Sudoku game. Here are the notes I said. He said, there are hint buttons. Okay, they kind of light up there on the screen. Whenever you're in a situation, there's a hint. And it'll tell you, it, and when you click on it, it tells you why it's giving you the hint. It'll say you should do X or look at these squares, look at these things around you, you know, give you some hints about what might be possible. And he says that clicking the next button will actually implement the move that it's, that it's suggesting. And there's also a learn button, I think, um, that says, yeah, you know, that it'll try and teach you why it made that
0: move or why it's giving the it. Well, we, it's, its interesting because um, the hints would imply that the that the AI or the the system knew what a good move was in Swarm, right? Mm-hmm. But we, I was doing—I was crunching the numbers, and I, I may be—I may be wrong about this, but if I understand correctly, chess has twenty possible opening move scenarios. So basically, as as white, you can you can move twenty pieces, or you can move in twenty different ways, basically mm-hmm. something something like that, maybe twenty-two. But, but Swarm, at the, so in, in other words, at the end of your first, t- first turn in chess, you have that limited number of options. With Swarm, if our calculations are correct, you have somewhere in the region of 50 million. Yeah. And that is the issue.
1: See, I'm wondering <laughs> if you really even need dice for Swarm. I mean, that's my contention all along. I mean, if you have a limited number of moves at any given point, and you can allocate them any given way... Then it would probably limit the search space, and it
0: might make it even more understandable. And I'm I'm talking I'm talking about basically the the way that you can play Swarm without dice is if you have six moves a turn. Okay. And the fifty million comes from the average dice throw, which is six. So it's the same difference. I see. Okay. Well wow. Well, that's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. And and so so basically, if you want if you want to look ahead any number of moves, it's it's just a, it's ridiculous. I mean, for example, Go, which is which traditionally people have thought was the you know it had the most number of options for one of those abstract strategy board games mm-hmm. has anywhere between 150 and 250 possibilities per go, right? But swarm having 50 million is kind of different.
1: It makes it hard. It makes, <laughs> make it real. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be hard. Ask Sebastian.
0: He's going to have his AI ready. <laughs> yeah, but so so for example, the reason why I say that is because the hints. You know, how would you do that? I
1: don't know. I, there might be just general hints that just apply to things to remember when you're playing the game. Things that you can do, ways of winning. You know, I don't know. I mean, you know, I don't know swarm as that well to to be able to say, but right. Um, I don't know. You might be able to come up with some heuristics, say things to keep in mind. I mean, just things that you would say by looking at the board, glancing at the board, and just watching someone play. Oh, remember, they you know you can move your
0: opponent's pieces or you can score by okay your- so, so like some basic rules for example if you keep your pieces spread out they're less likely to get captured yeah things like that okay
1: might be good i mean for starters i mean you know you might come up with more context specific ones later once the ai is working a little bit better mm-hmm. and once you've had some time to think about it
0: right we think yeah i think it's good thanks a lot guyon yeah so
1: letter letters from guyon so that's that's our other segment and um so uh oh and my quote of the week yep segment so the reasonable man adapts himself to the world the unreasonable one persists in trying to adapt the world to himself therefore all progress depends on the unreasonable man that's by george bernard shaw
0: that's interesting it's very uh, opposite of um, the the kind of uh, native indian approach which is what <laughs> the native american indian approach which is basically adapt yourself to the world like basically work in harmony with nature
1: Yeah, you know, I guess that's kind of interesting there. That's a little different perspective. But he's right. I mean, you know, when things change, you know, I mean, right, it is more reasonable. You're going to have less chafing. You're going to have less problems with people. You're going to have less probably disappointments if you just kind of adapt yourself to the situation. Right? But if you come in and you say, This sucks and this is broken and we should do things differently, you know, you piss people off, you get in fights, you you know, you get fired from jobs, you lose friends, you you know, who knows, you get punched in the face, whatever it is. But those are the people who make things make change the world. That's when things change is because somebody isn't happy or doesn't like the way things are and starts tries to change them. They're always going against the established order. Right? Yeah. So yeah, the, the the process of creation is in effect the, an act by somebody who doesn't like the way things are and wants things to be different is being unreasonable. But just use what's out there. No, I don't like it. You know, it's, also, like, I it's mean, like, like, you could say, you know, it, it's kind of not too far from the, uh, the not invented here syndrome. The not invented here syndrome, all progress is made by a certain amount of not invented here syndrome. So you, you,
0: you just said that the, the act of creation comes from unhappy people, but I, I mean, I disagree with no, that because no, a lot of people. Unhapp- not
1: unhappy. They're, 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 they're ad- trying to adapt the world, so they're changing the world. They want to change the world.
0: Well, you, you are forgetting about creation for creation's sake, where you don't actually care what happens. You just want to create some art or something.
1: Well, that's fine. But if you're, but that's not progress. If, 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 you're not, if you're creating it for yourself, <laughs> right, if, you're, but... if you're just creating it for yourself and nobody else is going to see it or use it, you're not trying to change the world. You're not trying to adapt the world to you. You're just going to, oh, look at someone else's art,
0: <laughs> I guess. So how, does, uh, how, do, how do ideas and... Um you know book ideas and uh, theoretical ideas fit into that that are just talking about so- sociology and stuff.
1: I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I mean, cuz there's always a gray that gray area. So does like writing a piece of music ad- adapting the world or painting a picture adapting the world. I don't know about that. But but the process of uh, of like a lot of software is changing the world. I mean, you could use stuff that's out there, but if you don't like the way it is and you're like, "Well, I'm going to go a different direction. I'm going to create my own stuff." To some degree, you're you're, uh, you're adapting the world to, you're, you're trying to adapt the world, you're trying to change the world to fit how you
0: want it to be. Right. Yeah. So it's changing a little piece of the world. You're changing exactly. your little, your little area.
1: Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, if, whatever it is, I mean, Facebook, right? Why don't you just use MySpace? Well, because it really wasn't a good fit for what, you know, I guess Mark Zuckerberg wanted, or why did, why did John Resig start J, jQuery? Why didn't he just use prototype? Right? Yeah you're reinventing the wheel, use prototype or use dojo or dojo. Why are you using dojo? Just use prototype, right? You know, why are you guys using on Rails? Just use, uh, you know, PHP or why do people use PHP? We well, should all just use Perl. You know, it's like somebody somewhere has to say, screw it. I don't like this. I want to do something different, not in an angry way, not in a mean way, just like I'm going to do something different. I'm going to change the, how I do things. And then I might end up changing how other people do things if they think it's better.
0: Right. So,
1: you know, you, there's, and I think most entrepreneurs are that way, and I think quite a lot of uh, software developers are like that. You know, they just they want to make things better, and they want to do things a different
0: way. Um, what did you think of um, uh, the the whole iPhone four thing and Steve Jobs doing the press conference and Antenna Gate and all that stuff? Do you have any opinion on that? And don't just say no. <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> do I have an opinion on that? Well, ask me a specific question about it.
0: Okay. Well, did you did you Follow the, the press conference and basically the, the response that Stephen Jobs has I given. I thought
1: I saw a headline um, somewhere. I was at the gym and I was, I think, on, on one of the cardio machines and I, and I, I couldn't, there was no sound. But I think I heard some, saw some caption that said that he was apologizing and that they, they take criticism personally and they're going to give away some the free plastic little so, thing.
0: yeah. So, so basically, long and short, it, it, it wasn't exactly like, oh, God, we are, oh, man, we're so sorry. We really feel badly about this. Right. it was more, it was more like a kind of yeah yeah we 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 did it wrong but anyway um so what we are going to do is we're going to give you these plastic cases and the the other thing that they did was they they basically showed how competitors in the industry have the same issue that if you hold it you'll in certain ways the signal will go down mm. so they they changed the argument uh, from being about themselves to being about the industry and said so, mm-hmm. you know we're not we're not really going to do anything about this apart from give you the plastic covers
1: yeah well, there's a certain amount of just like you know, let's get real, people. You know, I mean, it's not perfect, but you know, don't you can't expect to not have an, a a a visible antenna on it and to see expect it to behave work perfectly no matter right. how you hold it. I mean, if if how if what you're hold, actually holding the antenna, I mean, there's a certain amount of that. Um, I can I can I can understand how um, people get irritated because they you know when you ever deny something at first when it's true people get kind of irritated by that. But then there's also a certain amount of just being realistic about things.
0: But the other thing is, you want an Apple product to be perfect because that's the expectation you've been given.
1: You know. Well, come on, perfect? No, it's never been perfect. I mean, I'm not an I'm not an Apple fanboy, so I don't really have a, any skin in the game. I don't have a problem with Apple. I, you know, I have a Mac, and you know, I think the iPhones are really pretty, and I have an touch, But I don't really. I'm not you know, like I said, an Apple fanatic. So I don't expect any, I don't expect any perfect. I don't think anyone really it perfect. They- but
0: the idea of having it flawed to the point where you touch it a certain way and it can drop the signal seems to me to be like a flaw so bad that it shouldn't even be released.
1: Well, like I said, if they can put a little plastic thing and that solves the problem.
0: Yeah, but then- you, bought, you oh. bought it because you wanted it to look the way that Apple wanted it to look and now you can't have it look that way. You've got to have it covered with this silly plastic thing.
1: I'd say get over it, you
0: know. I mean, give me a break.
1: This is bigger problems in the world. It's like, <laughs> it's like it kind of reminds me, <clears throat> this was um, back right after the dot-com crash, um, right. when we first Sandy and I first moved um, out, out back out to California, Pasadena from Chicago, and she worked for a, sh- a web consultancy called uh, Iconics, which then became Lead Dog Design for a short period of time right. before they just closed their LA office. And she was out of a job. She was a project manager. And there were no jobs for that kind of work because there, there was no industry left. It was gone. And she ended up, just because she got after a few months of just sending out resumes and getting sick of sitting at home, she said, I'm just going to go work at the flower shop up the street. And there's this really high-end, fancy flower shop called Jacob Mars here in Pasadena. And it's not like your normal flower shop. It's, it's like it's, you, know, you go and you spend hundreds of dollars for things. And she's there. And she's like... She was saying, you know, it's interesting because all of these women, these come in, these older women, and they just get so fussy and have such an attitude because something was wrong with the bouquet. And it's just something usually so small, but they make such a big deal out of it. And I was like, well, here's the deal. They don't have any big, bigger problems in their lives. So yeah. it's like people have like a certain capacity of things that they just want to, that they're going to complain or be unhappy about each day. And if you live in a war-torn country and you barely have any food or water and, people are being killed around you you're going to complain about the same amount probably than if you're a wealthy you know older woman living in a mansion in pasadena you know and you'll some, find
0: something to to have an out yeah about. so you
1: got to bitch about so what are we bitching about here you know we're, really people are spending their time bitching about how they hold a 400 dollars piece of consumer electronics give me a break <laughs> you know what i mean there are a lot bigger problems in the world that's like whatever you know it's like
0: get a piece of think- plastic piece and who cares I mean, it's part of because it's, it's partly because life is just so easy. Right?
1: Yeah, we have good lives. I mean, for the most people part, especially the, probably most people who listen to the show and us included who live in first world countries and we don't have to worry about food and we don't have to worry about shelter and we don't have to worry about you know, health care and things like that for the most part. People are like, you know, we live, live an easy life.
0: Do you think that's a bad thing? Do you think that we should? it'd be better if we were in a war or there was some, some shit going down?
1: Going down. It <laughs> sounds like you're in the Marine Corps. <laughs> uh, no, I don't think so. It's just, I just think that's what it happens. People just, you know, complain. I, I'm, I'm sure, you know, I do the same thing too. I get a bad mood about something that's really, you take a step back and you go, Am I really getting a bad mood about this? I mean, this is stupid. And that's why sometimes it's like when you get away from your situation, you know cuz if you get if you you kind of are like say you're sitting at the computer and you're working on something and you get into like an argument with you know like somebody online or you're frustrated with your code and then you take a step back or you leave your house maybe go to the gym or you go out to eat or you do something and you go what was i even
0: worried about that so stupid i mean who cares right it's like so- um i was watching a Ben Stiller movie last night i forgot the name but um it, it, the whole way through the movie what he does is to to <laughs> I don't know, to just vent, he basically writes letters to companies about how annoying that he found their service. So yeah. he you know, he's like getting a transatlantic flight or something and he'll say he'll write a letter saying um you know, the the button on seat 47C just didn't work properly and I couldn't recline my chair. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. ridiculous. It was the, 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 the hilarious comedian C, CK Lewis or something. He did a, he did this routine. It was like a year ago on, um, I think it was Conan O'Brien or, or something. And, uh, he was talking about how life is getting better and all everyone does is complain. Have we talked about that in yeah. the show before? Have we talked about that? Oh,
0: um, I I can't remember. Well,
1: I remember one part. So he's talking about how he's on this plane. Let's, you know, they're thirty thousand feet in the air, and he's like on this plane, and and it comes over the intercom that you know you can that they now have Wi-Fi on the plane that you can now open up your laptop or whatever and and, and have internet access, right? Yeah. And the guy next to him opens it up, and he tries it, and he couldn't get connected. and He's like, ah, this is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> He's like there's something that didn't exist in the world until 10 seconds ago and now you feel like the world owes it to you. He's <laughs> <laughs> like we are flying 30,000 feet in the air and you're you should be uh, you should be in shock that we are actually flying 30,000 feet in the air that we are going to land somewhere. You should be holding on to your seat in just, you know, in amazement. He's like, you know, a couple hundred years ago when people left one side of the country to go to the other side of the country, I mean they were different people when they got
0: there. <laughs> You know, I, mean, no, I, 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 I think we did bring that up but uh, yeah no, that is a good point <laughs> we'll
1: put a link to that show I mean he is a hilarious comedian that was really funny people just complain about stuff you know and I, I honestly don't I don't like complaining it's like if you it's like if you don't like something do something about it otherwise shut up I don't hear about it when people start complaining to me and they're like, well, that's like I well okay well do it do something I mean if you want to tell me that about something that sucks and then you're going to tell me about how you're going to do something about it that's fine I'm like okay so what are you going to do If you're just bitching to me, it's like I get, like, no patience for that.
0: Well, this sucks. (laughs) But but you know that that is, like, a a huge social skill, don't you, Jason? What What is it? The ability to be able to just listen to someone vent.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I'm not the person. People, my friends know I'm not someone to come to to just kind of look for sympathy. If you're looking (laughs) at somebody to just say, oh, it's it's okay, you know, they go to somebody else. If they're looking at somebody to say, get them fired up and help them get focused and to make something happen, they come to me. So AJ, so you're, you're the that-
0: inspirer. You're the, like the team coach.
1: Like, let's do it. Step up. Get to some, <laughs> make something happen. Get proactive. Solve the problem. Why, you know, why man is,
0: up. Why is um competition and competitiveness so important to you?
1: I don't know about if it is. If it's necessarily is, I mean, I, am definitely competitive, I guess. I don't think I'm overly competitive. If I, if I'm playing tennis or someone or playing chess or do something, I lose, I don't go, I don't have in a bad mood for us today. I'm pretty laid okay. back about it, but I just don't like, I'm not a big fan of, uh, of whiny complaining, just feel sorry for yourself. Lameness. Just, it just, I don't have time <laughs> for it. I have no patience for it. it <laughs> bores me. It's boring. De. <laughs> <It's irritating>. (Laughter: yes, it is. I don't care. Don't care, you know. And uh, so anyway, um, I got another topic. OK, shoot quick. So um, there was an article by Doug Richards says, "Why do people hate lifestyle businesses?"
0: Yeah, and, I saw that, yeah.
1: Which is great. And then there was also another article that was similar to what's called, it was by Steve Blank, who's who's well-known for the whole uh, multiple viable product and pivoting memes that have happened. He wrote right. the Four Steps to the Epiphany, I think it's called. And he's the one that Eric uh, Reese is always um, referencing in his talk about the multi- minimal viable product. So Steve Blank's article is called Welcome to the Lost Decade for Entrepreneurs, IPOs, and VCs. And he talks about, they were like, 2000 IPOs between 19, uh, I don't know if it was 1990 and 2000, and then there were like 200 in our last 10 years. Yeah. And the amount of IPOs, like the, not only the number down by 10, but the size of deals is like down by size, a factor of 10. And so the only exits that people can really look for in these companies is acquisition, in which case, once you're acquired, you're no longer a company. You're gone, the company's gone, yeah. and you'll probably be gone within a year or two. So, Steve Blank is just like, let's get realistic. You're not going to, you're not building, if you're, if you're getting VC funding, you have to have an exit event. They're not, they're not interested in having something that's just going to create some kind of cash out that's just going to pay dividends out to the investors or shareholders. Right? Right. Well, yeah, so, which I never
0: understood, by the way. But anyway, we'll, we'll come That's our model. That.
1: I mean, you know, we could talk about that, but you know, they, you know, you have your limited partners and your general partners. Limited partners are the ones that put in the risk capital, and they want a return, right? It's like putting yeah. money in a mutual fund or in stocks. Like, okay, I'll put our CD. I want money out, and they expect some kind of return for it. Um, they're not doing it for the fun of it or the experience of it. And so – VC uh, venture capitalists have to get a return to their investors, so they're looking for liquidity because I think there's usually some kind of a lock-up period, so you put money into a VC fund, it's like you know you, it's in for at least a certain number of years, and but it, 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 at the end of the, at the end of this period, they got to have get some liquidity, so they're looking for a quit liquidity. And the only time they're going to get liquidity is if the company's required acquired or at IPOs and they can sell shares. Otherwise, there's very little chance any other way to get a liquidity unless they're selling their shares to another investor, which is Probably harder and much less right. lucrative and not so common. So if that's the case, then you know everybody wanting to get VC funding is kind of putting themselves in a situation where there's only a few and there's only a few options. You're essentially building to flip. Yeah. By default, because you got no other, you really got no other likely option, and you really got to, you only usually have a handful of, of potential acquirers. And if the acquirers themselves know that there's not that many other acquirers and you're not going to IPO, then the price can't be that high, right? Yeah. Usually. I mean, it's like... Well, you'
0: uh, unless there's a, unless you're in a bidding war. You
1: know, unless you're a very strategic acquisition target. You know, so, you, you know, it's like... So, and the guy who wrote the lifestyle business is like, you know, why has everybody got so down on the fact of, like, building a business that you're not looking to sell, that you're just going to grow and, and have it just continue to pay, uh, uh, you know, a nice income. And a lifestyle business doesn't mean it just makes 80 grand a year. It can make, you know, $10 million a year. But it's oh, just yeah. like, you know, it could be 30, 40, 50, you know, even... Two hundred people working for the company, and you could be paying your, you know—you could be the owner, and maybe ten years from now, you're paying yourself. Well, you know. like
0: central desktop.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's nothing that says that you know these small companies that you you're paying yourself—you know—maybe a quarter million dollar salary, and then you you know you pay yourself a dividend, and then it comes to like three million dollars a year. You know, it doesn't say that so. you can't be living an awesome. You can get rich if that's what you want to do, and you know, and, and you don't have to put all the money back into the company. You can grow it and you can pay yourself in, in without having to sell a company. It's like, the only way I'm going to get rich is if I sell a company. And
0: but I'm the process, that. I mean, to make, to make either of those companies successful, the process is very similar, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so why not go for the lifestyle option? Why not go for the bootstrap option?
1: Yeah. And, in the lifestyle business, meaning that you're not going to take professional investment. I mean, you can probably take investment from some angels who might be say, who might be, open to that. And if you say, look, I'm not necessarily, this may be a kind of business that will grow and we'll hold on to, and you may be an investor for 10 or 20 years, you know, and we'll just be paying out dividends. And and hopefully in the end of the road, you'll have made a very nice return for yourself, but you're not going to get full liquidity, all your investment and a return in like, you know, three or four years, it could be over 10 or 15 years, you know, but there are, I'm sure there are going to be plenty of investors who'd be open to that idea, especially if they like you and they like the business. Um, but if you go to VC firms, you're, I think you're, for the most case, out of luck for that. Right. They're going to force you to flip it and sell it, and 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 uh, I don't know. I I thought that was really interesting. Well, still- yeah,
0: no, you definitely don't want to be in that situation where you're full, like, it, I guess retaining control. If if it's if it's that type of lifestyle business, then the whole retaining control is pretty important, right? Yeah, because because if you if you move into a less than fifty percent uh, position. And you're hoping to just make your money from the income, then it's going to be a horrible experience, right? Right. What you thought?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I. So I, I. I just think that. I mean, I'm just not that interested in building something to flip. I don't. I don't want to sell it. If I build something, I'm not really interested in selling it and going work for another company. I'd be much more interested, and in, it'd be awesome to just. I mean, it'd be. It'd be fun just to have a company that's those three or four or five people that you know, you know, was successful and you paid yourself, you know, two or three or times what you would make if you were just working somewhere, right? So you, yeah. could, so you would live a very nice life. Um, and it would be nice if you, you it would be more fun. I mean, it just depends on your, your, your sort of personality, what you want to have a company that had 20 or 30 people you know, and, and uh, got even a little bigger, and that would be cool, too. I mean, I could see both those options being awesome. It just it kind of depends on whether you like, if you're kind of a people person or not. If you like dealing with people issues, then having more people would still be fun for. If you're like, you know, if you're kind of the person who says, you know, I, I just view people dealing with employees as just headache, which there is a lot of headache involved. If, 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 you've, if, you, if it's more of a headache to you than just fun, then you should probably just stick to, like, you know, or just as few people as
0: possible. Yeah, but a lot of the times, if, take, if you take, I guess in some ways, you can have a more fun business if you take on the funding because you can grow a business and you don't need to worry about, you know, that, that whole model of grow a business and monetize later. Yeah. So you can be more kind of experimental. Whereas if you really do have to think about bringing money in from word go, you can't be quite as experimental and do, do the kind of tangent stuff.
1: Yeah, and then you just get, you know, see. Well, for me, I mean, you know, everybody's. There's a lot of reasons to start businesses, and these reasons can change over time. To be an entrepreneur, sometimes it's because, you know, it's the only way you can make a living because you can't find a job. Sometimes it's for independence. Sometimes because you're going to get rich. Sometimes because you're going to work on problems that you can't work on otherwise. I mean, there's just a lot of reasons, right? Yeah. And for me, one of my primary motivators is I don't want to work for anyone else, and I don't want anyone telling me what to do. Period. At all. I'm not interested in. I don't want to hear it. I don't you want just felt the kind of person
0: want, it was to work for people.
1: I don't want an investor telling me what to do. Just not interested. Hey, Jason, it's what you should do. No, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> this is what I'm going to do. I don't mind. I like talking to smart people and who are friends of mine, and I'm always interested to hear what their opinions are and their ideas are, and I'll take or leave any ideas they have. If, if they have good ideas, I'll say, yeah, it's a good idea. I might do it. But I don't want to feel obligated that I have to take someone's advice because they're giving it to me. You know, yeah. and I definitely don't want anyone telling me what to do, and I definitely don't want anyone in a position that they can fire me from my own company, which is what VCs can do, if yeah. depending on the situation. So, you know, I think I didn't read. I didn't read the article. We're seeing a headline about that. The guy who did, um, oh, what was a shoe company that was sold to Amazon recently? Um, Zappos. Z- Zappos. Yeah. That I guess there was some speculation or something that the the C, that he was the CEO. Um, what's the guy's name? Tony Shu? I can't remember his name. how you pronounce his last name, but um, he was forced or pressured into selling by the VCs. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true or not. You know, right. and it almost doesn't even matter if it's true because it's just, it's, it definitely can happen. You can have a fabulously successful, awesome company, has an incredible culture and a great brand and a great name, and you just end up having to sell it to a bigger company. Now, Amazon may be a really cool company too, but you could easily, just as easily, been sold to a company that wasn't. I thought
0: Zappos was the one that had like the best culture, like the the, the happiest employees on the planet.
1: I think they have. There's definitely a lot of articles written about that. And, you know, that they have they've spent a lot of time discussing and thinking about and pushing sort of a culture of, you know, I don't know, personal actualization or fulfillment or enjoyment or customer support is a big deal with them. And, yeah, I think they probably do. I mean, you know, if you make things a priority, then they can you can do a good job at them. And I think company culture and, and things like that was a very big deal to the CEO. But anyway, you spent all this time creating this, this, this uh, environment, right? This sort of world. Like you built your own little kingdom, right? So he's done this thing. It's great, successful. He's lauded by the press and outside, you know, and customers and employees are, you know, probably for the most part really like him and everybody loves going to work and they have a great thing. But now it's over to some degree it'll be over. Maybe it would appear to be years where get, will be di- slowly dismantled and be integrated into a larger company, but then it's gone. And now where are you? So you got money in the bank and now what do you do every day?
0: Now you get to start over. Well, that's nice though. I like that. And to me, that sounds good. What sounds good? Well, just exiting and then starting over. Like I love, uh, you know, for me, that it's the seed phase, phase that's the really exciting one.
1: Yeah, well, see some people, it's fine. Like everybody has their own that's what's, that's what's really, I guess, always an important thing is that everybody has their own sort of drivers, what they care about, right? So if you like starting new things, then, you know, turning around and, and, and exiting a business every two to three or four years might be perfect for you. Like, I build it, I sell it. I build it, I sell it. But well, The, pro- the people- problem's
0: always been for me to go beyond the starting and to, to then, you know, actually execute beyond that point of initially creating the product. And I've, I've started to do that now uh, with Plugio and with Swarm. Like, they're, they're the first kind of things... I mean, I've done like 25 things, 30 things in the past, built different, con- different things, different pieces of software, but I've never actually got beyond that original phase. I don't know why it well, seems so stupid, but that's just what keeps on happening.
1: Well, the only difference is now is that you got the, t- you got the podcast. So in a sense, <laughs> yeah, the, the
0: podcast and, you know, we so we talk about it and I don't, I, you know, I don't want to feel like a complete dick. Yeah. Well,
1: there's a certain <laughs> amount of accountability by the fact that you yeah. and I talk about it and we talk about it in front of our listeners. Right, so when you yeah. don't deliver, people are like, well, what's the deal? Justin, you know, I mean, it was like, um, that's one thing of, that's why I guess it's kind of interesting the whole the talking about things to make them accountable. And you know, yeah. you know, I'll give you a hard time, right? Well, exactly. I, I'm going to give you a hard time. And so it's like, uh, Jason's getting you a hard time. It kind of reminds me, it's like I remember when I was in high school and I found out, you know, after high school and college, a couple of friends of mine were doing cocaine. And I was like, why don't I, uh, why did I not know? What the hell is he thinking? And they're like, yeah, they told it. They, they were like, don't tell Jason. Cause I knew I would have ripped them a new one. I'm like, what are you doing? Are you an idiot? But right. like, they, didn't want to, they didn't want to hear it. <laughs> they, didn't want, they don't tell Jason. <laughs> He's going to give me a hard time. Right. So it's nice that you're accountable. And, and it's also, and maybe I wouldn't have been enough, but the show, your, the listeners help. And it's not just like they give you a hard time, but they're encouraging you. I mean, most of them were very positive. like, keep it up, Justin, keep going. Right? And that just
0: really helps. Staying? So, so for, for everyone at home, just to know, Jason encourages you not to do cocaine.
1: Do not do cocaine and do
0: stuff and don't bitch.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Make stuff happen and don't bitch, because I don't want to hear it. I think
0: that's the title of the show, do stuff and don't bitch.
1: (laughs) Don't bitch. Exactly. Yeah. So I think, I think that's, 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 important to uh, get stuff done. You know, it's kind of funny, uh, you talk about like being accountable. It's like one of the reasons that I want to, I finally got around to uh, inviting uh, Richard Dolan on the show, right? Because I brought yeah. it up and then after it's like, I don't know if I, if, if our listeners are going to want it or are going to be interested or if he'll even respond to my email. But, um, you know, a couple, uh, I think a couple of listeners were like, so what's the story? Are you gonna fight this guy on or what? Yeah, you know you talk a big game, Jason. You know, but <laughs> I think also on.
0: when I, after I'd got John Dvorak on, and this is what I'm talking about. You being competitive. I'd got John Dvorak on, and you were like, "Yeah, I've got to get a big fish now."
1: <laughs> you see, I don't think like that actually, Jason. Okay. I'm not competitive with my friends like that. I'm not. I mean, I'm I'm um, I get excited when my friends succeed. I don't feel like I need to compete with them. Okay. So um, I was just like. I was just like, well, I guess maybe they will be on the show. I mean, it was an existence proof, right? When, so, when someone shows that something can be done and you mentally real, you just sort of are willing to accept that it's possible, then you just can do it. It's like a lot of times when you see things in sports, like you see a record being broken, then this new record allows people to excel higher Yeah, because they just see it's possible. And they see it happen all the time on the web, like when the very first Ajax applications, it was always possible. Once someone showed it, it could be done, people are like, oh, I can do that. Oh, it's possible. Cool.
0: Not just it's like, like climbing just that, Mount Everest, like it was so difficult, but now like a thousand people do it a year.
1: Four-minute mile or crossing the Atlantic, you know, whatever it is. I mean, once you, once people, ha- once there's an existence proof, then then the floodgates open because it's sometimes the biggest challenge is not in the doing, it's in the believing that you can do.
0: Right. Interesting. Which I, I I always thought that even from the word go, we could have got anyone on the show we wanted. Yeah. Because well, I think people, you know as long as you're a sensible person and it's relatively good, like why wouldn't they?
1: Yeah. Well, that's, that's why entrepreneurs are usually these, they have that, have that sort of mental trait that they just have a lot of optimism. Yeah. They have self-confidence. Like you had optimism that people would say, yes, I was a little skeptical about that. I'm generally very optimistic, but I was a little skeptical that, that we could get bigger fish on, on our show. Um, but hopefully also, you know, one thing that I'm hoping from our listeners is that they see, you know, any success that we have or things that we're doing and they're like, oh, well, you know, like you've done two things, right? You've done Plugio and you've done Swarm. So that's an existence proof to people. It's like, okay, Justin not only did one thing on his own while he's working full time, he's done two and he's making money from both. Well, and he's just be- a normal guy and he's just, and he's just, you know, he's not like he has any special conditions that are allowing him to do it. He's done, he doesn't have 50,000 readers on his blog or he's not no. well connected. or And you know. it
0: would be great. It, it will be amazing if either of those businesses end up making a substantial amount of money like mm-hmm. that's that's what i really really hope for i hope that that one of the businesses can make a lot of money and that that we go on that journey together basically that would be for me that would be like yeah you want to be rich is what you're saying no no it's, it's not that i want to be rich It's that i want to make it happen on the show like as as the sh- as time goes by just little tweaks a little bit extra a little bit extra so that people can see it and so that it's it's it, you know it's part of the I guess the culture of texting as well
1: yeah, absolutely. You want people to just see things are possible and and get people out doing stuff and that's
0: why I'm sick happening. of you not, not having App Ignite released and not starting know. to do business development and all that kind of stuff
1: Well, I don't know what to tell you, man I mean it's a big big problem i i, I took on a bigger problem i didn't mean to, I didn't mean to take on as big a problem as I did, but um, you know I, I i tried to I tried to release an early version and it just created more problems than it solved. all it did was you know. I don't just didn't wasn't wasn't useful enough.
0: So what do you think your your go time is now?
1: Like I said, I'm still shooting for the end of the summer. That's okay, my end plan. Of summer.
0: Is I'm shooting for at the end of the summer. Um,
1: okay, and I'm, I'm working on it every day. You know, three hours a day. So on the weekends, I probably put five hours or something like that, and it's make a ton of progress. You know, it's um, it's uh, it's really slick. You know, I saw. It's funny thing is I saw a couple of you know, in Hacker News they had a couple of things. They were like Hacker News yellow pages and people yeah. kind of like you know finding other hackers and finding co-founders. And I was like, you know what? I, and they, and everybody was entering this stuff on um. On like a Google spreadsheet, I'm like that sucks. I'm like yeah. I could generate an app that would do that in two minutes, no problem. That would that would do more than that. That would allow. It would be really slick. And I was thinking, you know, it would be really cool. And I actually emailed Taylor about this, was to create a social network that would be uh, like just for for sort of tech people maybe designers, tech, and potentially investors. So you would go on and it would, it would have like events that are going on. It would have projects that you're working on. It would have a list of skills, things that you've developed in the past and your skills. It would have you know um, books. You could maybe list the books that you'd recommend or conferences that you'd recommend. You could say, you know, are, are, you, are you consulting part-time? Are you looking for work? Are you working on a startup? It would have all that stuff. Yeah all in one place. I'm like, I could generate, and I'm thinking like, man, I could generate most of that right now. And, and it cool. You? Yeah, I'm just thinking about it. I'm like, I, I'm trying not to divide my time too much. You know, it's like, yeah, I got to be careful about how many things I butt up. And I'm like, I, one thing that App Ignite allowed allow me to do is be opportunistic. Like, I see things that pop up that I could just go out and generate and go, here you go, out in the world now. But what I really need to do is I need to partner with a designer who can then go out and make it look like a real app. Because uh, uh, otherwise, it won't look, you know, it won't look
0: like a finished product it just product. looks like a framework yeah yeah so i think uh, no we've 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 done a good a good show um <laughs> we're like I, I don't know if when it's edited it'll be this long but right now we're, we're over one hour 30
1: yeah i think that's good yeah i gotta, I gotta get gotta so all right that's a wrap we're out <laughs>
0: <laughs> nice ending